0: Welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Rosiel, and I'm the host to the show where I have conversations with Olympic athletes, hopefuls, and legends on their story and path to the Games. Today, I have Kaito Streets. Kaito is a Japanese national fencing team member. He's an Olympic hopeful. I had him on because he has spent a significant amount of time here in the United States. He is also he was also on Team USA for a little while, but decided for the 2020 Games, he wanted to represent his home country of Japan. So Kaito and I get to have a great conversation about some of the, obviously his story, what he's been through and what he's doing, but also comparing and contrasting a little bit about the two teams, the Japanese team, as well as Team USA, which was really interesting. and. Had a a lot of fun really getting to learn who he is and and how he got to where he was. So really excited for you guys to listen to this one. So thank you so much and enjoy this episode with Kaito Streets. All right. Today, a special guest, Kaito Streets. Did I say it right? Yes, sir. Kaito. I love it. Japanese national fencing team, Olympic, hopeful born June 6, 1994 in Yokohama, Japan. Started fencing at the age of eight. Graduated from Penn State University in 2016 as a three-time NCAA All-American and a 2014 NCAA National Saber Champion. Kaito is a two-time national, U.S. National Champion and a two-time Japanese National Champion, dominating two different countries in one sport. Incredible. Kaito, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, thank you for having me. Amazing intro. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, I, I I've always, I always <laughs> like to bring a little bit of energy on the intro. Let's, let's get people pumped, you specifically, and let's talk. Yeah. I mean, Kaito, as I said, a Japanese national fencing team. He's currently, as of recording, in Poland for an event, I'm assuming. So we can talk about that a, a little while later. But, yeah, man, you know why you're here. We want to talk about your story. I think it's pretty incredible. Again, being a national champ of two different nations doesn't happen very often. Um, so I'm definitely excited to get to learn a little bit more about what you do how you do it and where you're going but um let's start at the beginning most of the best stories start there so what um growing up in japan eventually making your way over here to the united states i mean what were those first first formidable years of your life like
1: so yeah i was born in japan um i lived there for seven years so i did um up to first grade there and you know typical childhood um play a bunch of different sport and I have an older brother so um, we kind of play a bunch of sports together. Um, Actually my first sport was karate and baseball and so I did those two sports a lot when I was in Japan. Love me some baseball. Good stuff. Yeah um, baseball. I think I played baseball a lot more than karate but yeah just when I moved to U.S. uh, karate kind of (laughs) just... I don't know why, but I just left it behind in Japan. But baseball, I, you know, I was playing baseball in the U.S. right away. And and how I started fencing was I started when I was eight, so a year after I moved to U.S. Um, I was playing a bunch of sport with, you know, my brother. We're you know little league pop Warner for football, and we're playing basketball in different kind of leagues. And we we're both good at it, but. My brother was almost at like a different level. He was older, so he was in a uh, big older age group, and he was dominating all those sports. And I was, you know, doing well for myself, but I was kind of getting known as the little brother, right, um, when you're in those little league sports. And so my parents wanted me to do something that my brother wasn't doing and something that, you know, will have interest in. And I guess um, when I was little, I, was, I used to play with a bunch of like toy swords, you know, play around, chase people, you know, imaginary sword fights. Um, sword lightsaber battles. Yeah, kind of exactly. Things. Lightsaber. There you go. I had a bunch of lightsabers, um, and so they're like, okay, you enjoy playing with swords, so why don't we use that towards sports? And luckily, we had, they had there was like a fencing program in my hometown uh, when I moved to Redwood City, California. Um, and there was a program. And so I started there and just fell in love by the way. I mean,
0: it. I, again, I, as I just told you before, I think fencing, I mean, hitting people with swords is so cool. Uh, and you do the cool one, right? You do saber. That's, that's, yeah, the, fun I do one. Saber. Yeah. that's
1: the one that's like Zorro, you know, you can yeah. uh, poke and slash and everything.
0: Yeah. Tell and, us about the other two. What is it, Epe and foil, right?
1: Yeah. It's Epe and foil and they're both, um, poking weapon. You can only poke There's a little button on the edge of the blade and they all have different rules and different targets and saber is definitely the fastest one. Um, most aggressive, um, a little bit more complicated in the rules cause it's so fast and it's hard to watch, but it's definitely the most entertaining. Absolutely.
0: Opinion. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, i <laughs> I watched the Olympics and, you know, some national championships occasionally, um, But it's just one of those things. I mean, again, here in America, it's so surprising that whacking people with swords is not a bigger sport. I think hopefully one of these days people will see how exciting it is. It is pretty difficult to follow because I'll be watching and I'll just see lights and I'll just be like, oh, I guess that person won. Uh, That's pretty much as far as I can see. But I'm sure the more you watch, the more you pay attention, train your eye uh, to understand a lot of that stuff.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, it's the rules are a little complicated. Plus, the mixture with the speed, it's very hard to follow if you don't actually fence yourself mm-hmm. and know the rules but once you get the even the bit if you watch few fencing bets and some have someone explain to you the rules then it's very entertaining to watch 100
0: mm-hmm. percent, i love it man that it is it's already entertaining for me um and i'm not 100 percent sure what's going on so hopefully with your help I'll, I'll get a little bit better at it um so you start fencing at eight obviously start to get really darn good at it to the point where you go to a division one school in penn state i mean at, at what point did you realize that you know, going to college to fence was uh, a legitimate opportunity. And then what was that recruiting process like?
1: So in my, you could say athletic career in any sport, I tried not to look too much ahead in terms of goals, what I want to accomplish. So I didn't really think of the college division one fencing until maybe, I want to say junior, senior, junior in high school uh, because before, prior to that, I was so focused on being the best in my age group, you know, going to world championship or doing well at world cups and all that. And so I didn't really think about college until, you know, typical regular students who start thinking about college and ju- their junior year of high school uh, when they just start thinking of where they want to go. And so for me, when I start thinking about college in general, that's when I started thinking, okay, for me to get into top I wouldn't say top notch school, but like I, I was obviously gonna go with fencing. So that's when I started thinking about fencing for a division one school and competing while I was getting an education. So yeah, junior year, that's about right. When I started thinking about which school had a good fencing program, uh which school would probably be interested in me, all that. So yeah, junior year that's when when i really started focusing
0: and you said before that you were already attending world championships uh i was
1: yeah i was trying to qualify um i was i was actually the fourth guy for cadet worlds my sophomore year i believe and, and so they I barely, the I, top
0: I, three i assume you know, <laughs> yeah
1: but like prior to that, when I was four, you know, for the Y fourteen category, Y twelve category, Y ten category, I was always number one in the nation, mm-hmm. for number two. So I was always in the top, and so, you know, it was kind of devastating when I didn't make Cadet Worlds um, when I was my year. Yeah, still, still impressive, man. So you go to Penn State. Um,
0: in that time, as I said before, there was a junior world team you were part of, three time all American, and an NCA champion, and. I'm- Pretty sure somewhere in there had to be one of the US national championships. I mean, that's a pretty insane four year stretch, dude.
1: Yeah. I mean, college was very eventful in terms of my fencing career, mm-hmm. but it went by really fast. Um, it, it went by, it, it went it, by it, fast for everybody, but I'll, yeah. I, I didn't do any fencing and it went by too fast for me, too. I promise yeah. you that. And for me, it was kind of separated in terms of each event. Um, so my freshman year, I didn't qualify I did, I qualified for NCAA championship, but I was technically a third guy and at NCAA, you only take the top two for each weapon. And so I was a third guy. So I didn't get to participate in the NCAA championship, but I was able to qualify for the U S junior world team world championship. So I got to go to my first ever world championship. Um, so that was very exciting. And so. Even though I was devastated for not going to NCAA championship, literally a week or two weeks after that, I was able to participate in my first Junior World Championship.
0: It's a pretty good consolation prize, I
1: think, right? Yeah. And then the year after, my sophomore year, I didn't qualify for Junior Worlds, but I got to go to my first NCAA championship. And not only did I go to my first NCAA championship, I ended up winning the whole thing. So, all kind of worked out it all worked out yeah i mean it would have been nice if i could do both at the same year but you know i wouldn't change anything
0: i was gonna say it still sounds still sounds like you did some stuff uh while you're at penn state absolutely rocking and rolling um three time again three time all-american that's not messing around uh clearly clearly you're at the top ncaa champ was when when did you win your u.s national championships
1: so I won my first u s national championship when I was ten years old for my age category okay, and then I won the junior u s national championship when I was seventeen okay, and so that was i think my junior ages i don't know what high school so yeah I ended up winning under twenty when i was seventeen so,
0: so was you've my... been you've been pretty much on the national uh, national scenes since you were ten years old um I understand that you weren't really looking ahead to college in certain situations, but I mean, at, at what point were people starting to reach out to you? Because if at 10, at 11, 12, at 14, you're top three in the country, um, you know, going to U.S. juniors and winning at 17, like clearly people have been paying attention to you for a little while. So what was the, the recruiting process like and what made you want to go from California to um, uh, what is it? Um, Penn State. Where's Penn State? Valley. No, I know that. Oh, I live in New- <laughs> New- Happy Valley. Thank <laughs> you. Yes, happy I know Penn- I know Pennsylvania, <laughs> States, so Pennsylvania? Penn State is a state. I appreciate that. Bud. Um, no, Happy Valley. Yeah, I've been there a couple times. Been to some games. Have some. Had some friends. I just uh, blanked on the name there for a second. So, what made you? Is is Penn State's program one of the best in the country? Um, was it the, the coach, the culture? What exactly was it that made you want to move all the way across
1: the country to a little town um, called Happy Valley? Yeah, that's a good question. So the actually the recruiting trip. Um, the college coaches cannot talk to any recruits until they' there's a, a big summer competition in July, and you cannot talk to recruit until they're entering their senior year of high school and so for that competition before my senior year, that's when I start talking to college coaches or they approach me you know wanting to recruit me or set up uh, recruiting trips and so That would be 2012, no, 2011, summer 2011. Um, I had a few meetings with different colleges, uh, Penn State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, um, St. John's. Um, Just uh, get an idea, rough idea from the coaches, what the program was offering and what the culture was. And then during the school year I'll go on an actual recruiting trip to see the university and all that fun stuff. And when I had the first initial talk, Penn state and Notre Dame was the one that really stuck out to me. Um, Penn state, especially just their willingness, their excitement to almost have me there really was, you know, selling their school. Um, they it just seemed like they really wanted me, and so I was like, okay, well I'm not gonna make a decision now. I want to go see the school itself and see how it looks. And so uh, my school senior year school started. Um, my first visit was Penn State, I believe it was in October, and I went with my dad. And I never been to Pennsylvania. Um, Anytime I go to a different state, I usually go to a bigger state, and so first impression I get to uh, State College, It's a really tiny airport. <laughs> I, was I was like, gonna, wow. I was gonna say like yeah, I, yeah. I've never
0: flown into the airport there, but I've driven to uh, uh, to Happy Valley before, and yeah, State College, and it is like it's two and a half hours and nothing, and then it's just this town in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. um, and it's an awesome place. I, I but keep going, man, this is good.
1: Yeah. Um, And then we get in, the the coach picks us up. It was late at night. And the fact that he picks us up and we're driving to the campus. And the first, it's like 15 minute drive and it's all dark and like trees and you can't see anything. I'm like, where am I (laughs) pretty much? And then, I don't know, just bright lights. The campus just looks beautiful. People walking around, you know, having fun going out. And I was like, what, where am i almost you know it was crazy it was almost like disneyland ish kind of feeling because there's so many people walking around yep. bright lights everywhere disneyland um, for college kids man that's a great way of putting it um yeah and then next day i got to see the whole campus walked around um talked to their coaches and just the vibe was like they really wanted me there um they told me about their culture and just the history of fencing. You know, they're At that time, they were very successful. They won so many championships. Very, they they might have won the year before or two years prior. And so just the dominance they had. And I knew if I went there, I'll be part of a winning team. And so I was just like, okay, if I come here, I could definitely. Then I started kind of having that ncaa itch kind of you know competing for a college team and i went out spent a night with the team um just had a great time you know they showed me around um just felt like almost like a family there and that was like a big part it's like how close the team was and i left uh penn state the visit thinking that i wanted to go there but um I still had other options, so I wanted to see, you know, the other school, what can, what they can offer, and I decided not to visit Ohio State or St. John's. They were going to be the backup plan, but I was still considering Notre Dame, so I went to a recruiting trip in Notre Dame, you know, had a good time, but um, i not bashing them, but I just didn't feel like the team was as close, or I didn't, just didn't have a as much fun as I did in Penn state. But at the same time, that's when, uh, the scholarship, they were technically offering more scholarship for Notre Dame than Penn state. So for me, uh, my family never, we weren't poor. We're, but we weren't, uh, rich either. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we were trying to, you know, try to get the best scholarship for me. So my parents didn't have to to get financial aid and all that. And so they said, you know, I know you you like Penn State, but Notre Dame's offering you more money. We want you to go there. And I felt that way. You know, I wanted to help them out. But I also had to get into both schools still. That's the thing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's a pretty good point. I still had to get in. And luckily, I applied to Penn State early, got in. So there was no problem there. Notre Dame was an issue. Um, they kept saying my grades were good. My fencing is great. They just wanted my test score to be a little bit higher. And said so they, they gave me a target. And it's like, if you could get this t- test or like very close to it, we'll get you in no problem. Well, you know. Is it, is this the SATs? Uh, SAT or ACT. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'll just keep trying. I'll keep taking a test. And I kept taking it, taking it. And I finally hit it, what they asked. And they told me, okay, we'll get you in. And this is almost, I waited months to get an answer for them. And at this time, like, I was telling Penn State, like, please wait. I'm still considering it." Penn State, but I'm waiting for Notre Dame, blah, blah, blah. I just want both options. And they patiently waited because they're holding up scholarship money for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Penn State, right? If if I don't come, they want to use that for others athletes and so I they were pressuring me every almost every week it's like are you coming what's your decision I was like can you wait and Notre Dame was telling me look like we'll get you in just be patient we're just uh getting the confirmation while well. I was like, okay and then I remember this vividly I was um I don't remember it was probably in February um I was in my physics class I get a text from my dad and he's like, hey, if you have free time, call me. And I was like, what the hell? What's going on? Yeah, that's
0: never a good text message. Yeah, to right? In school. <laughs>
1: in school. So thankfully, my physics teacher was a pretty cool guy. I just went up there and said, like, hey, like, can I call my dad real quick? I guess it's an emergency. And he's like, yeah, 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 Go in the back room. I went in the back room. And I was like, I called my dad. I was like, hey, dad, what's going on? Is everything around. Right? He's like, well, uh, I just got a call from Notre Dame. And I was like, yeah. And he was like you didn't get in. I was like, I was like, my response was the, all right, we're going Penn state. Nice and easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Let's go. And my dad was like, yeah, I mean, I love Penn state more than Notre Dame too. I was like, okay. And so at that point, you know, we took what they offered me. It wasn't a bad, you know, scholarship offer. We just, you know, wanted to take something else more. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, but again, thankfully it worked out because I'm going to skip a little bit in the end. I got more scholarship from Penn state. So it all worked out. So
0: look at that. Uh-huh.
1: It all worked out. It just made it
0: just took a little time to get there. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, you know. But anyway,
1: after that school, uh, after school and I went home called, uh, the head coach of Penn state and told him I'm coming. And so that's my, and I love it. Trip and- yeah,
0: that sounds pretty crazy. I'm glad you didn't go to Ohio State. Um, I make it very known I'm not a big fan of Ohio <laughs> State. So, uh, the, have, have you ended up at Penn State? So, that's that's good stuff, man. So, you, after Penn State, there for four years, obviously, graduate in 2016. Um, what I saw, I didn't see anything from 2016, but in 2017, I started seeing everything pop up that you were on the Japanese uh, national fencing team what was the decision and the transition like to say, okay, you know, obviously you were incredible here in the United States. As you said, you've been one of the best in your age group. You dominated, you've won multiple national championships, you won the NCAA championship, you know, all these accolades. What What was the decision to say, okay, you know, I mean, I'm from Japan. Like, why don't I go in and compete for that country instead?
1: So I officially switched to represent japan in 2015 okay um, and so my idea was so in 2013 that's when they announced 2020 olympics will be in tokyo and i didn't really cross my mind i was really thinking about the olympics especially fencing for japan I, I, if i was ever thinking of olympics i was thinking about going for the u.s but in 2015 uh, just talking to my parents, especially my mom, she's very heavily Japanese and has very huge, like Japanese pride. She, the U S team was very strong and I definitely, I wouldn't say I wouldn't make it, but I just, um, for me, another thing is like, I wasn't really thinking fencing outside of college. I you know, a lot of people retire after college, so. I was kind of going through that path as well but then i just had a almost like an olympic itch in a way and so 2015 i talked to my mom she was like you know since the olympics in tokyo you're japanese um maybe we you can fence for them and represent them and i said okay that's interesting um just it's almost like another thing. It's like I accomplished so much representing U.S. I want to do something for a different country or different. Uh, I don't know, let's do something different. And so I decided to do that. And my goal was actually go to Rio first, qualify for the Rio Olympics as almost like an experience, you know, getting that Olympic experience done with. And then my ultimate goal was go to Tokyo Olympics already having the Olympic experience, so maybe I can aim for a medal there, Um, but unfortunately, I didn't qualify for Rio, I was the second guy um, in Japan, and so that didn't work out, but that only motivated me more to qualify for the next one, and the process was actually fairly easy, Um, I had had a pretty good situation in a way that the Japanese Federation knew me I, when I was younger I would go to their younger age group competition and I'll win and good way to get I, noticed yeah good way to know so they knew they had an idea who I was they knew I was fencing for US but uh, I was part Japanese and so when I switch I pretty much just and I was in really good uh, relationship with the US national coach so I just you know talked to him like look I'm I'm going to switch to Japan. Uh, they kind of have to release me and the Japanese Federation has to accept me. And so it's like, and also the FIE, the international fencing Committee, has to kind of overlook all of this and make sure everything's going well and they can confirm it. And so it's kind of a scary process, but since I was in good terms with everyone, it was just like I emailed one in the next week i was a japanese fencer and it was like very simple and then um the japanese senior level coach wanted to see me compete so he told me if you want to be on the national team travel to international competition you have to come to the domestic tournament and see how you compete with the their top fencers i was like okay yeah i mean i have to deserve i have to earn my exactly yeah you don't just uh, get to Say I'm yeah, exactly. on the team and go away. like you know, that's not how it works. Yeah, I can't be like, Oh, I have this result and the resume um, put me on teams. No, I, I wanted to earn my spot. So I went I think three tournaments and I placed second, second, third, second, second, second or so. I could never and I could never win. I just I kept getting second, losing to someone new every time. But the fact that, you know, I just got second every time, they were like, he's like, Okay, you can come travel with us. Um and he knew I still had t- finished school. So he didn't ask me to move to Japan. He told me to finish school. Nah, just meet them at the competitions.
0: That's not too bad. I mean, it, 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 again, it makes sense. The coach can't just say, Oh, you know, you fence in the United States and you're good. That means you're on the team. Like, obviously that's, that's not going to look good for the rest of the team. Right. That's just like a, you know, so you do have to earn your keep of course. And it sounds like you did a pretty darn good job of that. If, if you show up and just start placing top three in all these events, obviously people are going to say, you know what, maybe he is, you know, one of the best people here in the country. So I think that's awesome. And it's really interesting that the transition is actually just that simple. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm from Japan. I'd like to represent them. Okay. Well, thanks for having you. And you, know, I, you, you did say, I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit more complicated than that, but I, I can understand how you said before it's a little scary because you're kind of in limbo, it sounds like, for a little bit because if one of these parties says no, you're pretty much out of all of it at that point. Well, it happens a, a lot
1: trip. of – it actually happens to a lot of other fencers. Does it really? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not going to name people, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fencers, the Federation don't want to let the fencers go because maybe they're a strong fencer. They don't want to lose them. And they said no, you can't leave. Or technically, like when you switch countries, you have to sit out a certain amount of years. Um, if the federation doesn't want to let you go, or won't release you, you have to sit out few years, few years, and then they, you can represent a different country. But luckily, the U.S. federation released me right away. The Japanese federation accepted me, so I had a really good situation. I was in good terms with everyone, um, and so. I'm happy for what happened, but I've heard stories for other fencers that didn't work out and they had to sit a year or two, which is a huge bummer, especially if, you know, I know a fencer kind of missed Olympics or something because then you mm-hmm. had to sit out a year or so.
0: Moral of the story, be nice to everybody. Um, exactly. because You'll probably get ahead at some point. That's awesome. Exactly. So <laughs> you, you transitioned over to the Japanese team, as you said, in 2015. Um, then you eventually finished college. When, when did you move to Japan and start
1: living there full time with the team? So I moved 2018 okay. to Japan. So after college in 2016, I decided to train in, uh, New Jersey and New York for two years. Um, I just felt that there would be a very strong, uh, Place to train. Uh, New York has a lot of strong uh, mm-hmm. saber yep. fencers. Especially, all the top U.S. fencers are in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So, and majority are in the New York area. And so, I want to train with them. And I had one of the assistant coach Penn State for two years when I was there. Um, his name is Jerome Guth. I really connected with him, and he he actually opened up a club, and with another Penn State alum, Ola Choki. He was two-time NCAA champion, four-time uh, All-American. They opened a club in New Jersey, and I really wanted to get coached by those two. And so I just felt, and I, I was still young, so I didn't want to really move, move to Japan yet. And I wanted to kind of experience training in the U.S. as a professional athlete. So I made a decision. I asked the Japanese team, the coaches, if I can train. A year or two in New York, um, and then maybe moved to Japan two years prior to the Olympics. And they said, okay, that's fine. And so I trained in New York, New Jersey for two years. And after two years ended, I moved to Japan 2018.
0: Mm-hmm. Very cool. And in that time you were here in New York, New Jersey, um, shout out New York, New Jersey, um, you won a Japanese national championship, correct? 2017? Yes. So, what what is that like? Is it knowing that yeah, you were born in Japan and you spent you know your first you know few years, seven years, I think you said in Japan, then moving here to the United States and essentially becoming um you know just a not a citizen. Obviously, you're a citizen, but you know just a person from the United States at that point. How was that taken by like the rest of the team that you're on the other side of the country training with other people, and then you kind of just come over, parachute in kick their butts, win, and then go back and leave and start training with other people back here in the United States? Like, how did the rest of the team and the coaches, how did they feel about that? Or was it just, hey, he's winning, who cares?
1: Well, actually, it wasn't my first Japanese championship. I participated in their championship two years prior to that, two years in a row, and I got third and then lost in top 16. And then I finally won. So it was actually my third try. Okay. Um, And so that was, like, kind of relief. I always knew I could win but I kept I lost the t- first two years and so that really kind of disappointed me and so when I finally won it was like just like so much stress and weight off my shoulder I can finally win and also it was a very satisfying feeling because the Japanese team and people don't like quite they didn't they didn't see me as Japanese as much mm-hmm. Um, they saw me as more American, which is, you know, I'm not, it's kind of understandable. You know, yep. I speak, Absolutely. I, I I don't speak the best Japanese and all that. And I don't quite look Japanese right to their eyes. And so for, when I won, I was just like, okay, you don't see me as Japanese, but you, they, you can't deny me for being a Japanese champion. And so it was kind of satisfying for me to win that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, I hope it's satisfying for you, man. You, you're a Jap- you're champion of that country. That's incredible. Um, and again, obviously, you are Japanese, uh, whether they like to say it or not. But did, <laughs> did, did, that, did that rub people the wrong way? Again, so it was the first three tries. Again, you were over here in the United States training away from the team. I mean, what, what was that like? What, were your, what was your relationship like with other people on the team, other athletes and, other, and the coaches? Again, kind of understanding that you're across the country training with other people and then you kind of come in and, and try and, you know, win the championship, obviously you're the champion there. It's undeniable, but what, what was your relationship like with some of the other athletes and coaches?
1: Um, it's, I mean, okay. They're all, they're all nice. And what I'm going to state, I, I, for me, I like to see in two different point of view. Cause I have to see from their point of view, I never really got accepted right away from being on the team. Um, obviously because I was coming from US trying to fence mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. I was never spending time with them because those guys are training every day with each other exactly yeah uh, especially the coaches are giving so much time to them getting better I'm, I'm not there and so when I go to the competition um, their prior, uh, their priorities are coaching the guys the coaching every day and so I understand that. If I was a coach and I was putting so much time on certain people, my team, and some guy comes for just competitions, I, I don't want to give him time when I'm putting so much effort on the other guys. I want to put more focus on them. And so that competition, they they didn't really coach me. Or they would only coach me if the other guys weren't fencing. Um, the fencers themselves they were nice to me, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't take it too hard. I, for me, I like to see in different point of views and I understood mm-hmm. what they are coming from.
0: Yeah, where they're coming from makes sense. Obviously, again, yeah, as you sense. said, they're putting all this time and energy and effort into you know, specific athletes and then you kind of hop in. Like, yeah, they'll help when they can, but at the same time, mm-hmm. they're going to pay attention to the athletes that they've been working with for, for a while. So then you eventually do move to Japan, as you said, in 2018. Um, so you've been there for the last year and change at this point. Um, How much have you seen growth in in your game? How much, like what has changed since now, rather than working with, you know, the the coaches and the athletes over here in the United States, now moving over to Japan, what have you seen change in your game over those two years um, or year and change, however long it's been uh, since you got there?
1: I mean, so physically, um, as I get older, I feel like I'm at an age, I'm 25, I'm kind of you can say hitting my prime, or starting to hit my prime in terms of physical ability, so I feel like I'm getting stronger and faster, but not drastically, you know it's a little by little. But I think mentally, in terms of experience of all these competitions for the last three years has really helped uh, mentally get stronger and prepare for competition. People don't understand how important experience is until they actually experience and later on they look back at it Uh yep i just thought you know when i was last three years especially you know the first year when i was competing for japan international at the senior level i just thought no i'm ready i'm ready it's fine like i don't need experience i think my abilities is fine i can compete no like the mental part of really experiencing the tournament uh developing relationship with the referees and all that comes into huge effect and so i finally realized that my i guess fourth year the the olympic year that it's actually built up and um, just controlling my emotions and uh, during competition before competition and realizing um, just think trying to think clearly during competition is very important because i'm last three years some of the competition went by so fast because i'm so edge on the edge you know emotionally um nervous and all that that i wasn't really thinking clearly what to do for each match and it just was a waste and so i'm really now i'm really focused on each match almost each point i'm trying to clear clearly focus on what i have to do not really think ahead or what happened in the past really focused on the present. That's
0: what you got to do, man. Whatever it takes. I mean, the mental aspect, like you're, you're at the level now um, and it's most sports is like this. You're at the level now where the ability of everybody is relatively the same. So now you're looking for specific edges. You're looking, you're all at the 98 percentile, right? You're all trying to get that extra percent. You're all yeah. trying to just find any little thing to do to get better. Um, and mental, the mental side of it normally comes in. That's a, it's a huge piece, especially in a sport that that's fast. I'm sure taking that breath and trying to slow it down in whatever way that you can, it can, it can help significantly. So I I completely understand where you're coming from. So being on being, being on the Japanese team for a while being on the US team a little bit younger, um, but knowing a lot of the athletes on the US team, especially while as we talked about your over here training, what have you seen as a difference between the support for the Japanese athletes from the, the the Japanese federations and their Olympic committee versus what you've seen and heard over here with, um, you know, the U S fencing team and, and the U S OPC, the, the Olympic committee here.
1: So the federations the for both federation, I think they're very similar in terms of support. Um, But in terms of uh, financial opportunities to do you, uh, fe- keep fencing and have financial support is different from us and japan mm-hmm. and so in the u.s fencers can keep you know fencing full-time only if you're almost like an olympic medalist olympian and you can you know you're kind of well known then you could get sponsors you know some media time usually that's an you know, olympic medalist type um tier people or you just kind of have to work, you know, a job and then fence after work or before work kind of balance work and no work and fencing life. And it's very difficult. Um, It's not like baseball basketball, those major sports that, you know, they make a living doing that. You can't really do that in the U S but in Japan, um, obviously, if you're an Olympic medalist, uh, world champion, all that, you can get you know media attention and sponsors, uh, live a good life. But if you're not that high-valuable fencer or athlete, you can still. There's a lot of companies in Japan uh, that want to hire an athlete. And tech, it's almost like a sponsor, but you become like an athlete employee for that company, especially before the Olympics, they want to get, you know, those athletes and say, Oh, we have an athlete in our company that are trying for the Olympics. You know, we support the Olympics. They, just, they get immediate attention for that company. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So and it's all different for all companies. So, so maybe that athlete might work once a week, twice a week but he can train mainly focus on training and get a base salary for, you know, doing what he loves to do or she loves to do. Um, Maybe some of the companies don't even ask them to go to work, you know, just keep training. Uh, We'll give you a salary and they'll have different contracts. You know, if you make the Olympics, we'll give you bonuses and all that. And so having that opportunity is huge for a sport like fencing, whereas there's no, you know, big money and so if if you can have like a base salary um, make a living while competing and training for what you want to do and work not actually work it's it's a whole different life and so um, a lot of the fence especially fencers in the japanese team they do this kind of uh, lifestyle Mm -hmm. either you're a police officer in the military or you join a company and they pay you to fence pretty much.
0: That is, yeah, I think that's such an awesome program and an awesome way of doing it. Uh, because, yeah, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous to hope that our athletes here in the United States specifically can live on very, very small amounts of money and train as much as they need to train. Um And not have a job right like obviously and and as you said most of them are based in the new york city new jersey area that's where i'm from it's pretty flipping expensive to live here like it's not an easy place to just say like all right you know make a thousand bucks a month you know i can get by no like that's that's not how it works especially in this area so it's very unfortunate um you know hopefully we can do something about it one of these days but yeah i think the way that uh you know japan's doing and the way that you've you've uh described it seems like it's working much better and it gives you the time to yeah maybe you do go into work once or twice maybe you do um, you know, just kind of do some media attention and do, do, do some of the ancillary things. But at least you know you're going to get that paycheck. At least you know there's going to be money in your bank account and you can really focus on what you need to focus on. And going back to the mental aspects of it, I think that's a huge piece. Finances, finances is one of the biggest mental stressors, mental drains on just regular human beings all across the world, right? So just by, by taking that out of the equation and obviously you're not you might not be a millionaire because of it but it at least allows you to train and focus on what you need to train on so uh, i remember when you told me that i really wanted to bring that up because i think it is uh, a great great opportunity and hopefully something that you know we could hope implement here stateside one of these days um so getting ready or do you have someone else sorry
1: oh no i just wanted to add like um especially the japanese olympic committee um uh, the joc they actually have a program to actually help you know promote this. So they, you get into a program. you put your profile, which this is what I did. You put your profile, um, and then they invite companies who are interested in doing this kind of program, hiring athletes. And so they actually help get, uh, introduce you to companies, Mm -hmm. which is really helpful. And so this is how I met my company. Um, I got into this program put my profile, did some speeches in front of companies and wait to see if there's interest. And a lot of, you know, athletes do this and it's helped hundreds of athletes find um, jobs technically um, and get paid for and keep
0: competing at their sport. Exactly. And then the media attention too. It's very easy for that brand, that company to then say, Hey, you know, this person, you know, Kaido works at, you know, shout out your company, actually. Let's, let's have a Bees fun. International. Yeah. Let's go, shout Bees. Out yeah, hey. shout out. Kaido works for Bees International, and Kaido is going to the Olympics, and Kaido has a great chance of meddling at the Olympics. I mean, that's great media attention already, right? I mean, it's nice that the Olympics is in Japan this year. I think that helps even more. But just in general, what what U.S. company wouldn't want that extra bit of media attention, especially with everything being so negative all the time? that's some pretty great, positive, wholesome news that you'd probably want everyone to know. So, yeah, it's confusing, man. It's very confusing, but I love it. Shout out, Beast. Appreciate what you're doing. Um, so what, uh, you're getting ready for the games. As we said in the beginning, you're in Poland currently in a nice hotel room, it looks like. Um, what What do you have to do to get ready for the games? I mean, what what number do you have to be in the country? How do you qualify? When do you know if you qualify? and And when do you know if you're going?
1: So, yeah, I'm currently in Poland for competition this weekend and I actually have three more international competition until the Olympic qualifier qualification ends. Mm -hmm. And so I have Poland, Italy and which is in two weeks and Hungary, which is in a month from now. So pretty quickly three tournaments and within the month. And so that depending on how I do, I'll know if I go to Tokyo, um, or not. But that's that's that ends like the real. Uh, how would you say it? The real qualification. Since the Olympics is in Tokyo, the host country can have certain amount of automatic bids. But I wouldn't know that until later if they put me in or not. For me, I want to qualify on my own. Uh, I want to earn my spot. I've always been wanting. You know. In my athletic career, I want to earn what, uh, yeah, what I want absolutely. to do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not focused on, oh, if my federation is going to put me in for the Olympics. No, I want to get that spot on my own. Where, um, so, where do you stand right now? And so there's fencing. The Olympics for fencing is very – there's so many different ways to qualify. And so simply put, I'm trying to get the spot of, like, the top two Asian fencer outside of the two Asian countries that qualify for teams. And so right now Korea and Iran are going to qualify teams. So there's four guys in each country. So those okay. eight guys are excluded. And after that, two guys from uh, the next top two Asian guys from Asian zone mm-hmm. qualify for the Olympics. And so that can be the whole Asian zone. Only two guys. And right now, a uh, Chinese guy is in the first spot, and a Japanese, uh, my teammate, a Japanese guy, and then a Vietnamese guy, and then, and then me. So I'm technically mm-hmm. four, but from second to where I am, second to four, we're separated by f- just few points. Okay, very All right. close. So that can t- change in one tournament.
0: I was going to say, at um, the end of this tournament, you could be in second place.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so I'm very close um and so I'm not I'm focused on that. And I like to play behind. I like to catch up. Mm-hmm. I never like to be ahead and look behind me. I want to look up and see where I where I need to go. And so I have three tournaments. So I'm focused on each tournament and um I kind of pretty much have to surpass my teammate. Uh, that's fine with me. I want to be the number one guy in Japan. Absolutely. So
0: why not, man? That's what you got to do. I mean, that's that's actually you bring up a good point. Um, what's it like? Well, first off, congratulations. Top four in the zone, um, you know, outside of those eight guys as you explained. It is a little complicated, but I think you did a great job at explaining it. I mean, what's it like when you're on a team with somebody and you know it's literally could be the two of you for that last spot? Like, what? what is it like? Well, the like- crazy
1: thing is the two other Japanese guys, they're behind me, but... Uh-huh they're further behind but they're quite actually not that far behind either. huh And so three tournaments.
0: Yeah. So what yeah. how many points can you gain in a tournament? Like what is what does that number look like? Like
1: So if you win, which is very difficult, if you win that's um I believe 32 points. Okay. And so um if you get top 64, it's 2 points and it like 32 is four and it adds on. Nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. 16 is 8. Um, and so if you making top 64, which is making a second day, that's a, that's what everyone aims for. Mm -hmm. So that's like the first step you go first day, you go to a pool group and then, uh, actually the top 16 in the world are excluded. They go second day automatically. And so everyone else is fighting for 48 spots. Okay. And so a tournament consists of 150 to 200 people. And so the, all of those guys, only 48 will make the second day. Wow. So it's all a right. very competitive tournament. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, making a second day is tough. Only 60, 48 people go, so 64 total. Um, and that's only gets you two points, making 64. Um, and so it's not many points, but it's a hard two points. Mm-hmm. And if you can manage to get top thirty-two, that's four points, and in the top sixteen, that's eight. That's a lot of points for you know only making, winning one bat one or two matches the next day. Mm-hmm. And so, literally one tournament can change the whole ranking.
0: That's that's intense stuff. Well, hopefully Poland yeah. um, Poland does you well, man. I'm 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 wishing you the best. Uh, so with that in mind, obviously we're rooting for you to make the games. Um, I know I'm mostly interview and speak with and work with US-based Olympic athletes, but you were here, you were on the team, you seemed like a cool guy. I, I want you to do mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, I can't, I can't hold it against you. Cause I don't think you would knock out any of the American athletes anyway, if I'm not mistaken from the understanding how that works. So like, um, you know, you guys can all make the team and everyone, the games and everyone can be happy. So with that in mind and understanding that's the, that's the goal. What is, I always like to ask this question. I always like to give the opportunity for the, the athletes to speak on it especially in a sport like fencing, as you said, it's very difficult to, you know, become a career fencer and make a significant amount of money and, and ride that for the end of the, you know, to the end of your life. And in most athletics, right, there is always normally a post career career. So what is, is is 2020 just the first Olympics you're going to try and make and then, and then 2024, you're still going to be gunning for it? Or, you know, what is what do the next few years look like? What is what is your
1: post career career look like? So I get this question a lot. Oh, um, I'm sorry. You don't no, have to answer no, 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 no. it. I, can, no, no, just, no, no, I no. can splice it in from some other interview if you'd no, like. No. Uh, no, it helps me learn what I want to do. So I appreciate the question, actually. Um, but it's a good question, but I'm not going to give you a solid answer because I don't know exactly because I'm basing on how this year goes. Okay. And so – if I make the Olympics, um, okay. My goal is to make the Olympics, and you know, once I so my I have two separate goals. Right now, I'm focused on qualifying for the Olympics. I'm not think thinking about medaling, Olympics, and all that. Make sure I qualify. Qualify. Once I accomplish that goal, then I'll think about if I need to do well at the Olympics. You know, thinking about medaling and all that. Um, and so. After that, for my future, I'm really not thinking too much because I want to decide or where where my path will be after the Olympics. Because if I go to Olympics and who knows, I medal, and in Japan Olympics is so big, and especially if you medal Olympics, uh, it's almost like an instant um, instant fame, super yeah yeah instant fame and superstardom, um, especially in fencing when there's not much. Japanese fencing history there's you know there's been one medalist um he's very and he's the most famous fencer in Japan and if Look you say that. fencing in Japan they just say uh this one guy's name and so if if you medal you, you become instant famous and so that gives me a lot of opportunities to keep fencing and financially especially because uh I'll probably will trigger a lot of sponsors um and so That's like a lot of what if, you know, if I medal. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, And also another path is if I go to Olympics or I don't, um, you know, i sacrificed a lot for the last four years uh, and I will be okay retiring and moving on depending, you know, to actual, you know, working or, you know, go to coaching, whatever path that takes me. So there's different multiple paths and so it's going to depend on how this year goes and what my mind is after uh, the Olympics because I'm so focused on this journey right now that I'm not really focused, haven't really thought about too much about what I want to do in the future because it can change depending on the result of the Olympics.
0: Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that I guess that does make sense, especially if there's superstardom, Um, you know, I'll, I'll... Cross my fingers that you get that gold medal, then, um, because then it sounds like you'd be you'd be a pretty pretty happy man uh, doing some cool yeah. things. So,
1: well, I don't I don't want to sound like you know. I'm no, I understand. The, I'm, I'm I'm doing this for the. No, the, I know. I understand. Game, game, I understand all that. But yeah. I'm just saying there's opportunities given, um, and so. I, that's there's easy. My, there's
0: there's a lot easier ways to get famous than to put in the copious amount of work effort, moving away from your family, everything that you've done. There's way easier ways yeah, to get famous. Yeah, so we, I, yeah. I will take you at your word and assume that you're not doing it for the fame. But I mean, if that's on the table, that's not a problem, right? Like you'd be able to yeah, speak yeah. to companies, share your story more, like you are today, and uh, you know, hopefully, be able to inspire more people. So with fame, there a lot of good things come with it. So it's not a, never a bad, uh, never a bad idea in my mind. So, um, yeah. Kaito, this was awesome sincerely appreciate it i know it's kind of late where you are so i'm gonna let you get to sleep so hopefully you uh you do you do get those points that you need to but uh one last time we have kaito streets of the japanese national fencing team an olympic hopeful um and we're crossing our fingers for you man thank you so much
1: well thank you for having me i got my first podcast done there we
0: go excited love it.
1: i love being everybody's first this is the best yeah thank you so much for having me again
0: thank you very much for listening to this episode of our athletes with kaito as i said he's a very interesting person he has had a lot of background in multiple places so it was a lot of fun getting to learn and and as i said before compare and contrast really what it was like with the japanese national team versus the u.s national team how those things how those teams differ and and some of the what he's learned from both which was a lot of fun so please make sure to go follow kaito on all of his social medias they will be in the show notes please follow us as well everything will be in the show notes and if you can please give this show a five star rating on itunes it is super helpful and really does do something that's why you that's why all your podcasts ask you to do that if you could take the four seconds it would be significantly significantly helpful for me and i would really appreciate it so thank you all so much and i hope you make it a wonderful day